Welcome to the Built Not Born podcast presented by Edge Leadership Academy. I'm your host, David Kitchen, and every week I'm going to be having conversations with some of the top leaders in their fields to figure out what built them into the leaders they are today and what we can all take away from their journey. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share, like, and leave a review so we can continue to bring you more content like this. Also, make sure you join us on our website, www.edgeleadershipacademy.com for a ton of free content and resources for leaders and those wanting to be leaders. And be sure to follow us on social media. I'm fired up to be part of this project and I'm really looking forward to getting to work. Leaders are built, not born. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Built Not Born podcast. We are here for part two of our three-part series with Coach Rebecca Gold. Um, Last week, we had an awesome conversation about different aspects of leadership from the education piece to learning to lead from the middle to the feedback process. Um, There was a ton of nuggets, a really deep episode for you guys to digest. So I really encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't. Uh, But today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into how to handle it once you become a leader. What does that look like um, from sharpening your own axe and continuing to grow to making sure it's a sustainable environment for yourself and your team? Um, We'll talk about some burnout, um, some things that we can do to avoid burnout. And then also we'll talk about the role of mentors within um, our leadership role. So Coach, I know avoiding burnout for you is is a passion of yours and finding ways to make sure that we are in sustainable roles as leaders and as coaches. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to hear your point of view and your take on this. We'll kind of start with kind of state of the union. So where are we right now as strength coaches and as coaches in general and, and kind of we'll, we'll push this towards the athletic community. But again, it transcends industry, right? It's everybody. Um, so I'd love to hear your kind of state of the union. What do you see from a, from a leadership standpoint right now when we're in these roles? Is it a sustainable model that we have right now? And what can we do to change it? Um, <laughs> there's a lot that can go into that. Um, and I think if you are in a, a leadership position, um, as far as title goes, um, if you are the one who's in charge of making decisions and organizing your department in a way that protects your um, protects your people. Um, it's important that you're looking at this and keeping keeping your logistics and your organization of the department structured in a way that is going to protect the people. That has to be your main priority. Even at the end of the day, in, in our in our field of collegiate strength and conditioning, we are here to help the kids and, and serve the student athlete in the best way that we possibly can. I don't mean be their butler, but you're here to teach and mentor and, and provide them with the best service that you can. Um, but if you as the head are not taking care of your assistants, they can't take care of their athletes. If you are not helping them fill their cups, they'll have nothing to pour into the kids. And so logistically, there's a lot of things that you can do um, to help them with that. And and I think in a lot of ways, you have to save them from themselves. Um, and uh, Coach D at the Citadel, I mean, he he's the first one who really did that for me. Um, I didn't have, when I got to the Citadel, I didn't have any other r- really responsibilities in life. Like I wasn't concerned. I didn't have another person in my life that I was trying to pour into Um, I didn't have any pets. I I just, my, I was away from my family. I didn't really have any other responsibilities, um, outside of my GA ship. Um, so with that said, I could give everything to that. 
Um, he put rules in place that forced me to pour into myself. One of those rules was morning teams. You are not allowed to have a 6 a.m. team more than three days a week. And then he, he communicated that not only to me, but also to my sport coaches. Coach, she's got five teams. I don't want her in here more than three more early, more than three mornings a week, uh, because that's not sustainable. And the sport coaches are people too. And they're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We'll work with it. Right. right. But it took a conversation. And, and if you're in the head position, it might be your responsibility to have that conversation for your assistant to the sport coaches. Maybe not. Maybe that's, maybe you're going to tell your assistant to have that conversation, but either way, it's got to be hacked. Um, because it's, it's not good for you. It's not good for a person's well-being and and sleep. Like how many hours of sleep are your assistants getting? Do you know, if you don't know, maybe you should find out and make sure that they're able to take care of themselves on that end, uh, before you go telling the sport coach that we can give you everything you want. Because how do you just, just out of, out of curiosity, how do you balance that with the you know, the higher level manager of, you know, that, that comes in with the expectation that you have to pay your dues or you have that old school mentality of hours of work equals productivity. And so I, I know just, just speaking from experience and in the college sector, a lot of times those, those older coaches and those directors that do have a family and do have things that they, the other responsibilities that they want to get home to, a lot of times that extra work falls onto those assistants or the younger coaches. And it's looked at as it's just part of your job because you don't, you're not at that point in life where you have a family and you have other responsibilities. So how do you keep that in the forefront? How do you, how do you balance that? I think that comes with clear communication of what our standards and expectations and responsibilities are on day one. Like those things have to be outlined and documented and written down so that everybody is clear as to what is like, here's the bare minimum of what you must do in this responsibility or in this role with this staff in this context and environment. Um, Here's everything outside of that is extra. And it's important for everybody on all levels to to know what that is. And for you as the head, again, if you're the one in charge and making those decisions, Again, what are your priorities? You have to take care of your people first because nothing else will get taken care of in a high level manner if they're spreading themselves so thin so that they can hit 18 responsibilities. If you're catching or if you're chasing 18 rabbits, you're not gonna catch any of them. That's that's pure logistics. Right, right. So um, I think having a remembering like as the leader, a always keeping what's important, the most important, what's the focus is the focus, Mm -hmm. being able to identify what's extra and what's the bare minimum um, and clarifying that even even for your assistants, um, because your assistants might be in that in that position where they want to be there all the time and they want to give everything to everyone they maybe they have a hard time saying no I know I did I still do Mm -hmm. um and it it took me a lot of experience 
to learn how to say or when to say no. Like when was too much? When was the point where I'm starting to realize I'm getting spread thin and I'm not, I'm not executing the way I want to execute. But that took, I mean, it took a, a year of really uh, intense downward spiral for me to know where that point is. And I think that's what happens a lot of times because, you know, as, as we know, people that aspire to be leaders and people that aspire to execute at a very high level, like you said, we typically are doing it for other people. And so that makes us um, selfless in, in a lot of respects. Um, but it also turns us into a martyr to where we are willing to bear the cross for everybody because we feel like it's our responsibility. And so as a leader um, looking down on your staff and starting to see those traits develop, I think it's exactly what you said. You have to be willing to put practices in place that will safeguard those people from themselves because we will, we will cannibalize ourselves um, and sacrifice ourselves in the search of giving everything we have to other people. And so it's not from a selfish place. It's from a selfless place, but it's unhealthy nonetheless. And, mm -hmm. and that is, is so key. And some of the things that I've been around that, that I think really helped is I've, I've been around directors that really encouraged their assistants and other people within the organization to have outside interests and have outside hobbies and even things like training somewhere else like go, go lift somewhere else. And I know at UNLV, we didn't lift in the football weight room too often. I mean, we did, but, but not as often as you would think. A lot of times I would go over and train with the Olympic staff or the basketball stuff just to get out of the weight room for an hour or two and get away and then come back and, and I'm refreshed and I'm mentally refreshed, you know? And so I think what, what you brought up there at the end is that downward spiral, it happens. And that burnout happens because we're taking on such a burden. We're taking on so much and the weight of the world on our shoulders when it doesn't need to be that way, when there's logistical things that we can do to alleviate those types of pressures. The key to all that is being humble enough and being having the humility to step back and say, hey, maybe the way I'm doing this right now is, is efficient, but it's not effective. You know what I mean? Or vice versa, you know, depending on, on your staff, maybe the way I have these things set up right now is sustainable for that 22, 23, 24 year old who has no other responsibilities, but is it healthy for their long-term growth? And ultimately, if you're a strong leader, I think that's the question you need to be asking, right? Is what am I doing for these people's long-term success? And, and that doesn't have to be strength and conditioning. That can be, if you're a basketball coach and you have your guys in the office until, you know, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, it, how are they going to be functioning humans? You know, if, if they're 22, 23, 24, whatever, all the way up to the early 30s and they don't have a family, well, now what? They become 40 years old, they get their first head job and they don't know how to function as a human. And then they trickle those same habits down to their staff because that's what they learned and that's what they came up in. So I think at some point we need to stop the cycle. Um, and so I'm glad to have coaches like you that are willing to step up and, and you know, vocalize that. Um, you know, but that being said, I also think, and, and I, I would love to hear you elaborate on this more. I also think it can take away from our love of what we do and our appreciation for how great of a job we do have, um, being a sport coach and being, or being a, a strength and conditioning coach, you know, so speak a little bit on that, on, on how you balance the burnout without losing the passion for the career that, that we all love. A lot of that comes down to just your perception. Um, 
I've always loved being challenged and loved competition. Um, and what is your perception of your job right now? If your perception is complaining about this and, oh man, like COVID has thrown me for all these loops and now I'm out of my routine and now I can't challenge people the way I want to challenge people. Well, guess what? Last fall was an apple and this fall is an orange. It's two different things. And so you, you have to change your routines and change your thought process and your approach to the situation. All that is, is a new challenge. All that is, is adversity. And here we are trying to teach and challenge our athletes to respond through adversity. Are you responding to adversity? Because this is what it is right now, real life. This is what you're trying to prep people for. Do it yourself. And like, what's your perception of the situation? Because guess what? We really do have the greatest job in the world. Like we really, really do. Guess what we get to do every day? We get to go into a weight room and teach people how to lift weights. And, and we, get to, we get to mix with 18 to 22 year olds who are full of life and like, and they just want to have fun. And like, they, you know, they, they keep you young. And, and like, we really do get this really cool environment that we get to work in on a daily basis. And yeah, it has its ups and downs and it has its pros and cons. Uh, but wh what are you focusing on? If you, if you need a little bump, check out John Gordon's Power of Positivity. It's, it's all about your perception. How are you viewing your adversity right now? Are you taking it on as a challenge or are you letting it, are you letting it stop you and, and force you, distract you? I think that's the best word. Are you letting it distract you from what you really love about your job and what brought you to this in the first place? Where are your strategies to help you remember your why? Where are your strategies to help you or remind you um, what motivates you to do what you do every single day? I think I said this last time, but I've got post-its up all over the place behind my lap, behind my computer at my desk at work because I need that. I need those those daily reminders because I face adversity every single day. And if you're, I think if you're too, oh, I don't need those reminders. I think that's a little bit of pride and ego getting in the way of you putting strategies and tools in place to help you stay who you are. Yep. And, and hearing you say that made me think um, about the amount of pivots that we're seeing people make through COVID, right? The amount of coaches that have left the field, whether it's strength and conditioning or sport coaching, or, you know, I've seen people that have left businesses and done different things. And this COVID thing, it kind of, um, you know, I, I think created these mass exoduses to people where they were like, I'm leaving and I'm getting out of this field and I'm doing something different. And I don't necessarily know that that's always the answer. Um, you know, and, and I use myself as an example, Yes, COVID created an opportunity for me to make a pivot and do something different with my life. But the reason I did that was not to shy away from the adversity that was COVID. It was because this new opportunity aligned more with my values and this new opportunity aligned more with where I wanted to go long-term. And so I think we have to make that distinction, right? It's like the people that pick up and move to Hawaii because they think their problems aren't going to follow them. Well, listen, if there's problems with your character and you facing adversity, changing your industry is not going to solve those problems. You're just going to run into it. And now you're going to be unhappy because now you're not even doing what you originally loved. Now you're doing something that you don't even like that much. And 
or you're doing something completely different and you run into that same adversity and you still can't respond because you didn't go through it the first time. Um, so I think, you know, that's something to think about for people that are considering a, a pivot right now during the COVID, you know, during the pandemic and looking at this. And it is a great time to self-reflect. It is a great time to evaluate your life. But I think the goal of that has to be exactly what you said, evaluation with the, with the end goal in mind to reconnect with your why. To reconnect with what brought you here in the first place, what brought you to this point. Um, and I think that as long as you're doing that and you end up maybe making a pivot, that's a completely different scenario. Then you're doing something that's good for you. But I would shy and I would caution people that are considering a pivot right now. Ask yourself, am I pivoting because I don't want to go through this adversity and I don't want to grow through this and I don't want to examine my own strategies and say, hey, you know what, this isn't working? Or am I pivoting because it truly aligns with my values? And that's a decision that you have to have and have conversation you have to have with yourself and your family and, and really do some deep work. Um, and, you know, I think at times that deep work scares people because the truth, and I say this all the time, the truth is like whiskey. It's best taken straight and it burns on the way down. Um, and and that's, that's the honest, only way I can describe it. And I think sometimes when people get faced with all that truth, they get really uncomfortable and they, they want to make you know, the decision that soothes the ego a little bit and soothes the burn and says, well, I just did it because it wasn't sustainable. I got out, I got out of, you know, whether it's, it doesn't have to be coaching. It could be stockbroker or it could be a doctor, you know, or whatever. I got out of this because it wasn't sustainable. Was it that, or you ran into some adversity that you didn't like and you, the examination and the self-reflection that came with it made you extremely uncomfortable, you know? And I think that's a question that we have to ask as well. Absolutely. Um, I think this really brings us into just an increase of self-awareness. Um, what is your motivation? Everything you do, you do because you are motivated to do that thing in some way, shape or form. In the simplest form, you eat. Why do you eat? Because you feel hungry. There is a, there is a feeling in your stomach that, and hormones that are released that make you feel hungry. So you eat. Everything we do has a why, has a reason. And there's all, there's a lot of information out, especially, I've, I feel like it's more evident right now um, about uh, the why and our drives and our motives behind what we do. And I think, like you said, it's a little bit of a hard pill to swallow because a lot of motivation comes from fear. And people don't want to admit that they're afraid of something. Where fear is a good thing because it motivates us to, to take care of ourselves. So don't act like it's something that doesn't exist in you. It does. And if you haven't, if you don't know where it does, go find it. Go find it. I encourage you and empower you to go look for the place like what what stirs fear in your heart? Is it fear of failure? That's, that is the, one of the biggest concepts that I cover with my student athletes every year. I, it doesn't matter if they're a freshman or a senior, they all need to be reminded of, of that motivation of fear of failure because it, it creates a motive to prepare in a, a slightly different way. If you don't like to lose, you're going to prepare in a very specific way so that you don't lose. And it's funny if you look, if you um, look into some interviews that some of the greatest athletes have 
have done a lot of them. It's not, they don't love winning. They just hate losing that much. And it impacted the way that they prepared their skills in such a way that allowed them to really cap out their capacity for their, their potential for greatness. And, and taking that a step further, they have this self-awareness to then, if they do lose, yes, they're deeply afraid of it. But when they do lose, instead of throwing their hands up and saying, okay, it's over, they have this self-awareness to look back and ask themselves what lessons they can learn to keep that from happening again, right? So it becomes like a seatbelt. It becomes your, now you're protecting yourself. Okay, here's what happened. You know, and I look at like, um, uh, what was the guy's name? It was a boxer. They did a... a HBO special on him and he had lost. And they said, what'd you do after the loss? And he said, I went back through everything, my training camp notes, my meals, my sleep, my habits, everything. And I did everything leading up to this next fight to make sure that that never happened again. But that requires self-reflection and self-awareness. So I'm interested to hear, you know, some of your tools for building self-awareness. What are some of the things that people can do to build that skill? Because it's not natural in everyone. Mm -hmm. One of the number one um, habits that I press and help to try to create within my internship curriculum, so any of the interns that come through it, um, every day after every single group, we do a debrief. So prior to, we pre-brief, we're like, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is your responsibilities. This is what I need you to do, et cetera, et cetera. After the group, we go through it and we ask ourselves a series of questions. You know, what did we know? What did we observe? Anything that we observed, what, what stood out to us in that group? Why did it stand out to us? What went well? What didn't go well? And at the end of the day, if something is happening in those groups, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. So really it comes down to us as the coaches. So how do we need to adjust for the next group? And along with that comes this habit of self-reflection that happens after every single group. And for interns, they're, they're here to get experience on the floor. Um, and, so, and so they really invest in those debriefs because they feel like they're learning a lot about the X's and O's. But what it does is it creates a foundation for their own habit of self-reflection at a deeper level when they become when they become full-time coaches or graduate assistants with their own groups, but even deeper in other aspects of their life in relationships or whether it's with school or other responsibilities, whatever it is, it creates a foundation of a consistent debrief. And so um, I, th I think it's important to, to ask to, in, in an initial self-reflection, it's, it's important to ask yourself, you know, what are your habits? because your habits are the routines that you're putting into place every single day. Um, and they represent your plans. They represent your philosophies and they represent your character. Yes. So if you are not intentional about your habits, like A, ask yourself what your habits are. What are the things that you do every single day? And then B, like what do those habits say about your plans, your philosophies and your character? because everybody that you're around sees those things. Yes. Yep. And, and I think the habits ultimately, in, in my opinion, they tell you one of two things about people and it's a self-reflection thing, but it's, it's also, it says it to the outside world, right? If you tell a kid, you know, we're going to do 
RDL today. We're going to do deadlifts today, whatever it is. And they do something completely wrong and completely different. There's only two motivations to that. They didn't know, or it wasn't important to them. Right. And so in my, in my opinion, people's habits reflect those same two things. Either you didn't know that this habit was hurting you, in which case you have to do the self-reflection to find out. Or number two, what you say is your goal is not really that important to you. Because if it was, you would align your habits and your daily routines with that. You know, and I think the the other piece, and just to add on to the tool that you put out there about self-reflection, the other one that I encourage people to do is we do random acts of kindness, right? I challenge people to do random acts of discipline. Can you, can you just do that throughout your day and see if maybe you start to notice some of the habits that you didn't notice before? And it could be little things. A big one for me is I'm a shoe guy. I love sneakers. I love, I love shoes. Um, and so when I come home at night and I take my shoes off, I make sure that when I walk past them before I go to bed, instead of, even though I'm tired, instead of leaving them on the floor, I put them back on the rack every night. Just little things, right? Why? Is that about the shoe? No, it's about me maintaining a level of discipline in my life that allows me to do other things, right? And allows me to um, be more creative in, in how I do the rest of the things in my life. But those little habits add up. And I think that's something that people miss as well without reflecting on your habits. You don't know which little habits are adding up. That little thing that you don't think really matters, over time, it adds up, right? And it could be something as simple as daydreaming, or, or spending a little too much time on your phone or, or how you handle adversity. You know, what is your natural, even if you, over time you reflect and you handle adversity well, if your initial reaction is poor and it sets you behind, if you reflect on that habit, you can now start to change that behavior pattern over time, right? And that's ultimately what you're talking about here is using self-reflection to build response patterns and build behaviors that will move you towards what you say is your goal. Right. So I, I think, you know, you're hitting it on the head here and, and I don't want to ruin your train of thought. So I'm going to let you take the mic back. Keep going. Let's let's talk more self-awareness because I love this stuff. <laughs> uh, you're I mean, you're fine. It's pretty easy to continue the conversation uh, wherever it goes, really, because of the topic in itself. There's there's so much that goes into it um, and it looks so different for every person. Um self-reflection is going to look different for me than it does for you or for any other people or person, I should say. Um, and it, you can, you could take what other people do and try it. I think that's a good place to start. Try it and then make little tweaks and changes um, as you see fit and as you see necessary, start somewhere and then adjust. When we are young strength coaches, um, it's hard for us to just pull concepts straight out of the textbook and put a program together. But if you learn, in my, in my case, I learned the tier system really well. And right now uh, I use the tier system as a structure, but my my programs don't look like that anymore because I've just slowly changed things here and there to fit my context in that environment. So if you don't know where to start, if you're trying to be better at self-reflection and you don't know where to start, Google it, <laughs> Google it, see what other people are doing or ask somebody you trust, ask your mentors, what do they do for self-reflection? Um, if they're really good at what they do, they probably have some sort of tool or strategy that they use for their own self-reflection. 
and and I think jumping off of that, you know, reading books like uh, Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors was a book that I read, and I felt like when I talked about it with other people, I took something completely different from it than the next person, which was awesome. But what I took from it was exactly what you just said. That book is full of people that are high performers. Everybody had within those, there were so many commonalities. So when you say the self-reflection piece, everybody in that book did some sort of self-reflection, whether it's journaling or therapy and, and talking it out with somebody or you know whatever their self-reflection was. Some people it was meditation, some people it was all these different tools. And so you're right. Everybody has different routines that work for them and you have to find what works for you over time. Um, you know, for instance, for me, I, I have to write things down. I have to, it's the only way that, that it resonates with me. And so I like to take a log of things and reflect on that log. And I like to do it daily. If I have time, if I don't have time, I do it weekly. Um, but I make sure I at least do it a couple times a month at, where I reflect on as much as I possibly can. I just verbal vomit onto a page and then I dissect it and I pull it apart and I pull out the important things and I see where I need to make pivots and I see where I need to make changes. Um, but I didn't start out doing it that way. I started out by looking into other people's routines and copying their routine. Right. And it's the same thing. Like you said, with the programming, you start with the tier system. And I, I tell the interns when I was running intern programs, when you start programming, you're a cook. All you do is read recipes and you copy the recipe the way it was written. That's how you learn. And then once you get good at it, you start to mix things in and you start to tweak it and you start to make it your own. And then six months, eight months, a year later, whatever it is, now you have mama's gumbo. Now you have your own recipe of how you do things, but you can't do that if you don't learn from the recipe, the original recipe first. And so I think self-reflection and self-awareness and those types of, of tools, you have to start somewhere. So if you have no background in it, it's not an excuse to not do it. It just means you have to find something and then tweak it to make it your own. Um, and it doesn't have to be, and I think people get overwhelmed with those types of concepts sometimes where they think it's gonna be, well, I don't have time to do that. Guys, if the highest performers in the world have time to do it, average Joes like myself, you, and everybody else that's listening to this podcast, because I'm pretty sure Jeff Bezos is not listening to the Built Not Born podcast. Not yet, he will be one day, but not yet. Um, if he has time to do it, we have time to do it, guys. And so we have to make it a priority, though, because, again, it goes back to what we talked about, right? What are our habits? Is that one of our habits that reflects a goal that we're trying to get to? So self-reflection and self-awareness, making time for those things has to be a priority if we want to ultimately reach where we want to go. Um, so I, I want to switch gears a little bit here because you, you said something about mentors that really stuck out to me. And learning from people who are where you want to be in, in one sense or possess character traits that you want to possess. Because I have mentors in my life that maybe from a career standpoint aren't where I want to be. Maybe they're in a different field or maybe they're in a different industry altogether or maybe they're you know doing something that maybe I don't agree with professionally. But from a personal standpoint, they have certain character traits that I admire. And so in my mind, I, I consider those people a mentor of sorts. You know, there's there's different types of mentors, I think. But I think that having one in general um, is just such a huge advantage to people. And, and it's sometimes overlooked that mentor-mentee relationship. So just talk to me a little bit. You know, some are natural. Some are natural mentors. You walk into a GA position, you end up with a mentor. You walk into an assistant position, your director may be a mentor, depending on the relationship and, and what you find out over time. But talk to me a little bit about what you look for 
in mentors and how that relationship you think exists for you. Like, cause I think sometimes that gets, um, you know, that gets watered down and people start to think mentoring. And if somebody's my mentor, they just give, 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 give. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily true, you know? So I, so I'd like to hear your kind of point of view on that. Um, so what do I look for in a mentor? If I'm looking, um, for a mentor for myself, they, I think it comes down to integrity. Um, I, you know, if, if somebody is in my, from my perception, um, trustworthy, if they're, um, if they do, if they do the things that they say that they're going to do consistently, if they under promise and over deliver, you know, because then, then they, they're always meeting the expectations that they've said that they're going to do. Um, if they are authentic and vulnerable, like if, if I feel like I know what they struggle with, then that leaves me with the perception that they understand if I'm also struggling with something and it makes me more willing to share that with them and ask them, how can I, how, what can I do to help with this? Um, and that, like, that's that vulnerability, you know, if they're, if they're just willing to put themselves fully out there, I'm going to be more likely to trust that person. And if I trust that person, then I'm going to look at and see what they are um, really, really good at. And then I'm going to ask them about those things and I'm going to ask for their feedback. Um, I think that uh, my said intern is really, really good at Olympic lifting. So if I'm working on my snatch, I'm going to ask them for their opinion because in that aspect, they are my mentor. I trust them to give me feedback and good educated feedback on something that I might not be as much of an expert in. Um, and so I think that you can have, like you said, you can have different mentors in different, different qualities and different aspects. Um, but I think it all comes down to trust. Do I trust that this person is going to give me the feedback that I'm looking for? Um, or are they just going to make something up if they don't know the answer? And the humility piece is huge because the example you just gave is phenomenal. Um, for you being, you know, at this point, a veteran of the iron game, um, being able to go to an intern as a mentor, right? And I think that piece is so overlooked by people that you can learn from anyone if you have the right perspective. And if you are able to humble yourself and ask and say, how did you do this? How did you, you know, what are these things? Why you have to be willing to ask and to ask means that you have to admit that you don't know. And the old adage of, you know, youth is inexperienced is not true anymore, guys. There are, there are certain things that some people younger than us are very, very good at. My, my little brother is a stat. He's a numbers guy. He kills it with the math game. I'm in a PhD course, advanced, you know, statistics and everything. I go to him for help because he understands it. That's humility. That's being able to say, Hey, I don't get this. You do help me explain it to me. Let me learn from it. You know, those types of things. So I think that experience in itself says about you that you lead with humility and that you're able to ask the questions in order to then give those answers to somebody else. You know what I mean? So it's not just, I'm asking to receive for me. I'm ultimately asking so that I'm better so that I can then pass that on to somebody else. Um, but you're not just, it's not the giving tree, right? And people, I don't know if you, are you familiar with that story? So I think a lot of times people look at mentors like the giving tree, like, 
give me a job, help me get a job. Well, I, you know, they think if they go and work for Joe at XYZ university, well, then Joe's going to get on the table for them and get them an assistant job at XYZ university. Guys, it doesn't work that what, what value did you add to the relationship? Because mentorship, yes, it's, it's, you know, altruistic in nature that you're giving to somebody else, but there's still a value add expected on some level. That's just human nature. We want reciprocity. If I'm giving you something, I want to be giving, I want to be given something back. And and that doesn't have to be something material, you know, and strength coaches at times. And I, I think it exists in business as well. We look at it when we're young as what do I have to add to this person? What can I give them? Well, sometimes it's just genuine conversation. Sometimes it's just being genuine and being yourself. You know, that I don't necessarily need you to come in. If I'm a strength coach, I don't need you as an intern to come in and talk programming with me and give me something programming wise. That's fine. I don't need that. But if you're yourself and you give me hard work and you give me, you know, humility and you give me a legitimate interest in being better and you show me those things, that's enough. Now you've, you've, um, you know, you've satisfied that reciprocity need to where now I feel like I can give to you. And I can give to you unabated without strings attached, because I know that you've given to me as well, you know? And so I think that piece is, is big also. Um, when, when you're dealing with these mentor mentee relationships, how do you kind of advise that? How do you teach young interns and young professionals to add that value without just looking at mentors as the giving tree? Um, so this, I'm gonna talk about this with using my internship as in the way I run it, um, as an example. Uh, but you can, I mean, this goes from any leader and department type structure that you might be in, in your own life and, and relationships and experience. But, um, on day one in their contract, you know, I wrote out, a, I write out a contract for my interns and yes, they sign it, date it. And then I sign it, date it. Not that it means anything. It's an unpaid internship, right. but it, it, represents commitment, right? So I have a list of things that I expect from them and a list of things that they can expect from me. And one of those things is that I'm going to set them up for success by giving them resources. But one of their expectations is to use the resources. So I'm going to introduce you to a number of strengths coaches we are going to go on site visits because we are in the DFW area and there are so many performance like coaches in areas or, or places between colleges and private sector within an hour from us that we'd be silly to not utilize those and go check them out. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go on site visits and I'm going to be an avenue for you to meet these these professionals in the field that you say you want to be in. Mm -hmm. Now it's up to you to keep the relationship going. I'm not doing that for you. I opened the door. You have to actually walk through and go through the stuff in the room. Um, so that gets communicated right away on day one um, so that they understand the role and what it means for me to be a mentor, but the work they also know the work that they have to do on the, on the back end of things in order to truly benefit from the things that I'm going to show them or open their, open them the, their door to, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that it's important um, that you set yourself up in a position with those interns or, or those that you are, are leading um, 
they have to perceive you as somebody that they can ask questions to, that they can make suggestions to. I mean, I would feel like the dumbest person in the room if I'm over here trying to solve a problem and person over here who's listening to me trying to solve the problem knows the answer, but doesn't feel like they can say anything. So they don't. And then here I am wasting all this time trying to figure out the problem and solve the problem. And I probably do something that isn't quite the greatest solution to it. And they knew the solution all along, but they didn't feel like they could say anything. And if that's your, if that's the relationship that you have with your followers, you should question that. You should try to find out if that's the relationship that you have and then fix it if it is, um, because they, they can't help you if, if you don't empower them to do so. That make, I, makes perfect sense to me. And I think, you know, again, when you look at the mentor-mentee relationship, um, yes, there has to be give and take, but like you just said, you have to set them up to be able to take advantage of those things. And that part of that is just communicating it clearly, um, what is there and what is the expectation of that. Um, you know, that's, that's obviously one way that you can sharpen your ax. And I think when you get into a leadership role, it's important to understand that that mentorship process doesn't stop just because you're mentoring other people now doesn't mean that you don't need a mentor, you know? And I think sometimes that gets lost to where people get to a certain point and it's not quite as prevalent in strength and conditioning as it is in other avenues that I've experienced. Um, but people get to a certain point and they stop utilizing their mentors. And it's like, guys, maybe your mentors change. Maybe, maybe you do outgrow a mentor that happens. That happens. It happens in coaching. It happens in everything. Um, but you should always have somebody that you can lean on and somebody that you can go to for resources and for continued growth. And, and I challenge people that are listening to this. If you can't think off the top of your head, you know, all the values that are important to you, if you can't think of somebody for each value that you can go to, and it might be the same person for multiple values. If you can't think of at least one person, I challenge you, you need to really self-reflect on who you're surrounding yourself with. Because in, in my opinion, you should always be surrounding yourself with people in all areas of your life that are going to make you better in, in some aspect. And you have to find those types of people. Like you said, you can lead somebody to the door. They have to go through it, right? And so it's not enough to just say, you know, Joe Schmo is in my phone book. I could text him. Well, have you? Have you reached out to that person or do you just know them? Because that's not a mentorship. And that comes across a lot in coaching in particular and in athletics in particular, where you bring up a name and somebody says, Oh, I know that person. Do you know them or have you met them once or twice? And you think, you know, you know, what, what are you giving? What, what are you, how, where are you creating relationships? Where are you creating these long lasting um, friendships? And I've noticed in, in my own life where sometimes things turn into mentorships that you didn't expect them to. So my last guest that was on um, Chris Tuttle, he was on before you, I met Chris. I actually helped Chris out way back because he married a high school friend of mine. We had never met, but he worked with a former intern of mine. He was studying for a CSCS exam. So I sent him all my study materials. We got on the phone a couple of times, talked some shop and flash forward seven years, eight years now, or seven years. I reach out to him because he's running successful businesses and he's running successful performance centers that are expanding and he's opening new locations. And I reach out to him as I'm starting my business thing and he's helping me through, you know, LLC processes and marketing and all these different things. And that's somebody, when I gave to him seven years ago, there was no expectation of him becoming a mentor for me. 
but down the road, that's what happens sometimes. And so we have to be humble enough to give just on the premise of giving and, and maybe understanding that it will come back to us in some way, but it might not be the way we expect. And right. And same for you with, with the internship program and, and myself, that was one thing I've always prided myself on was my internship program and being able to put out good coaches into the field. And that was, it, it's, it's benefited me in ways that I never expected it to the amount of connections that I've made, the amount of, of things that I've been able to be a part of, or, you know, projects that I've been a part of because of connections through interns and through people that I mentored in the past. It's just awesome. And, and to me, you know, I think you should be doing both. You should being, you should be being mentored by somebody and you should be mentoring somebody at all times. You know, once you level, uh, reach a certain level of proficiency in your skills and in your industry, you should immediately look to mentor people. And because the other thing is it forces you to talk about concepts and it forces you, that was one of the things that I loved about the internship meetings was that it forces me to go back to the book and it forces me to go back and, and relearn concepts that I don't maybe use in my programming or concepts that I don't use in my leadership. Um, and so it forces you to, to kind of sharpen the ax. And I think that's, that's what we'll close this episode out with. I want to hear from you. What are some things that people need to be doing to sharpen the ax? You know, whether it's reading books, going to conferences, et cetera, what, what are some things as a leader that we should be doing to sharpen the ax consistently? I think first and foremost is reading and not just skimming social media. I mean, reading. What's the latest book out there on topics A, B, or C? What, like, what do you need to work on? First of all, like, what's your weakness? Um, what, what are you trying to teach your athletes right now that you're like, I should, I, I need to get better at this. Go read a book. And then, and then the author of that, Google them and whatever podcasts or articles they have written, you know, use that as a spider web to find more resources on the same subject and immerse yourself in those subjects. But then beyond that, that, you know, that's only last time we talked about, you know, the overemphasis on content, all that knowledge does you no good if you don't, A, if you don't truly understand it, but then B, if you can't communicate it and implement it regularly. So once you have got a certain, you know, book under your belt or a new piece of knowledge under your belt, go try to verbalize it you only understand something as well as you could teach it to somebody else so find somebody who's willing to listen um find somebody who wants to learn about the same thing and have a conversation with them about it um to my understanding a b and c is that the same way that you understood it too does that make sense when i try to explain it to you absolutely um and then try to explain it to somebody who's not in the field who doesn't know anything about uh, adaptation and stresses and, mm -hmm. and see if they can understand that as well. I think if you can explain something to them, you're at a, you're at a place where you can start to implement this, um, and put it into the context in the correct manner. It's not this weird outlying piece that you're just trying to like plop into your environment and hope that it works. Um, you really have to have an in-depth understanding of things in order for you to truly get the, the best out of it. Yeah. Um, so a, gain knowledge, but then B, go talk about it. You got to go talk about it. And then you have to be, it takes us back to the beginning. You have to be okay with being wrong. I've invested, for example, I've invested a ton in learning about energy system development because of the teams that I work with. I thought I had a really, really good handle on it. 
until I went and talked to a professional who works with a, a sport that I haven't really worked with um, or don't have a ton of experience with. And they told me a different way to understand this. And I'm like, holy crap, I thought I understood that. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm still learning new things about it. Um, so being okay with being like with being wrong. And it was it was funny because I didn't know that person. I, it was kind of like I emailed them and hoped that they would reach back out to me. And they just so happened to reach back out to me. And I got on the phone and they're like, hey, I don't really know you, but I don't think you are understanding this correctly. This is how I understand it. And I'm like, oh, I had to thank them. I said, thank you for being willing to say that. Um, and now I, I think that this is the start of a really good professional relationship because he was willing to tell me he thought I was wrong and I was willing to be wrong about it. I think you hit on another big point there that needs to get unpacked when you said, I didn't even know this person. I just shot him an email. Put yourself out there, right? How many people, guys, there's, there's people that are resources. I didn't know Coach Gold. Coach Gold was recommended to me from somebody else that, hey, you should connect with this person. You're doing, you have similar trains of thought on leadership. And again, a relationship that paid off down the, down the line, it was a former athlete of mine who now works with, with coach gold. And so those types of things, but I just put myself out there, just shot you an email. Hey coach, you know, would love to talk some shop. Let's talk some leadership. We got on the phone one time and within a, a 30 minute conversation, it was like, Hey, this is going to be a three-part episode. This isn't going to be a, a one hour conversation, you know? And so that never would have happened if you're not capable of just putting yourself out there and just shooting the message out in a day and age where everybody is a direct message, a DM, a, an email away. There's no excuse to not be reaching out to people. And you know what people, some people aren't going to reach back out to you and that's okay. Move on. You know, Great. find, find somebody else, you know, because there's so many people out there um, that it is exactly what you just said just taking the chance and shooting a message and hoping that they reach back out and, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the other piece is using them, like you said, to create that spider web effect. Because when I get off, when we finish this three-part episode, one of the ending questions that I'm going to ask you is who are three people that you think I should reach out to? Who are three people that you think would be a good, you know, a good conversation for me to have? Um, and that will challenge me and challenge my thought process because I don't want to be surrounded by people that are, saying, yes, you're right. You got this figured out and good job. And giving me a pat on the back and saying, you know, keep doing what you're doing, buddy. I don't want that. I want to hear somebody who did exactly what the experience that you had to say, Hey, I don't know that you're understanding this the way that it's meant to be understood or the way that it was put or whatever. Um, you know, that piece being willing to be challenged is a big way to sharpen the ax. Right. And it's, it's a biblical quote, iron sharpens iron, right? That's, that's, it's so true. And if you're not surrounding yourself with those types of people intentionally, intentionally, I'm not talking about being at a dinner party and getting shot down on an idea. I'm talking about intentionally putting yourself in a room full of people where you are not the smartest, you are not the expert on the, on the material that is sharpening your ax in a way that a lot of people won't ever experience because they'll just read the textbook and then think that they got it. They won't do the, the spider web effect and go to X, Y, and Z podcasts where they break down these certain aspects of it. They won't go to this article that focused on the first two chapters of the textbook that you read. They won't go to, you know, friends of that, of that author who have sat down and talked to that person in depth, you know, and, and to relate it back to strength and conditioning. When I wanted to learn, um, when I wanted to learn the triphasic model, I didn't know Cal. I was 24 years old. I did not know Cal Dietz. I, I knew I had a friend who knew Cal Dietz. So let me call him. Because I know you sat down with Cal, you've learned from him. And then luckily, you know, throughout connections, I ended up being able to, to meet him. 
And I am glad that it took the time that it did because I would have had nothing to add to the conversation had I sat down with him earlier because anytime I listen to Cal speak now, it's, I need three weeks to process everything he just said because I'm so lost and I don't understand half of it. Um, but, you know, I was able to create that spider web effect. And a lot of times I think that leads you ultimately to where you want to go, but it's being willing to take the time to go down the rabbit hole and spend some time and don't expect yourself to learn something in, in three days. Give yourself weeks, months to learn these concepts of, of whatever you're doing. If you're in, if you're in a, you know, business and you want to learn a new sales tactic, why aren't you reading the best sales books and then spending three to five months practicing it in small doses and in different avenues and talking to other people who are successful with it. To me, that's where we miss as humans. We get to a certain level of proficiency in things and we stop sharpening the ax and our ego takes over and we start to feel that we have it figured out and we no longer need to um, challenge ourselves. And part of that is because we don't want to be challenged because what did we talk about earlier? Fear of failure, fear of judgment, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to get told that we are wrong. So it's crazy how all this comes full circle. And it goes back to building that toolbox that you talked about at the beginning, self-awareness, self-reflection, vulnerability, humility, all those things, um, you know, add up and, and they kind of create ultimately your ceiling in my, in my opinion. Um, so coach, any closing thoughts you got, you know, floor is yours. We'll wrap this thing up and then we'll get ready for episode three. I think at the end of the day, if you're in a leadership position, um, you need to be sure you're surrounding people who are smarter than you. Um, and kind of like we talked about earlier, it might be in different roles or like in different specialties. But if you are the smartest person in the room, why do you have other people in the room with you? Why not just do it all on your own? So if you're, if you don't have a list, if you're an assistant and you have some aspiration to be a director someday. If you don't have a list of who you would hire now, I would challenge you to start creating that list. If you want to be the head of a football program, you need to have four assistants right off the top of your head that you know that if you ever get the chance to do that, you're going to call them first. And for me, I'm not, no offense to my previous interns, but I'm going to call my old bosses and say, D, will you come work for me? Like, please come work for me. I want to be the dumbest person in the room. I'll, you know, I'll be the, the name that's out there, but I want people who are like pouring into me around me. I want to, I want people who are going to make me better um, in there because then if we have all these pieces, you know, fitting together to make a, a puzzle, that's awesome. If you have all the same piece, they don't fit together. You have to, you have to hire people who have diff different strengths than you. Um, uh, if you want to truly put together the best, the best product. Yep. 100%, 100%. And a quick story to go off of that. When I got to UNLV, um, coach Sean Manuel is a, a guru when it comes to speed mechanics, um, and some of the velocity based training and, and some different intricacies that I wasn't as familiar with. I'm an old school meathead. I love powerlifting. Um, I understand that it's not applicable to every single sport, but I like heavyweight. I like chains. I like to get after it. I'm a conjugate style, you know, training methodology for the most part. Um, and so he came to me and, and I was 25 years old, youngest assistant director in FBS, had no clue what the hell I was doing. I was figuring it out. And he said, Hey, D, 
this is your specialty. You're going to program the strength blocks. I'll handle all the special speeds or the, the special strengths and I'll handle the speed blocks, but GPP hypertrophy strength. That's you max strength. That's you um, figure it out. And it was from, not from a place of I'm better than you. It was just from a place of, Hey, I know my strengths. My strengths are on the field, you know, speed development, that type of stuff. That's what his strengths were. My strength was in the weight room, developing, developing strength, developing size, developing power. So he said to me, that's you run with it. Um, and by the second year that I was there, it got to the point where he ran all the field work and I ran the weight room. And it was a very harmonious, you know, relationship in, in the sense that I would go out when I finished with my groups in the weight room and I would just watch and, and listen and pick his brain as he's running these things. And we'd get on the board and talk about it. Um, but there was no animosity on either side. There was, it was legitimate conversations of like, Hey, why are you doing it this way? Oh, okay. That makes sense to me. Tell me where you learned that. And then, you know, one day I walk in his office and he's got West side book of methods sitting on his desk. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's getting it now, but he walks in my office and I have Verkashansky on my desk and I, you know what I mean? And so I, he's rubbing off on me the same way I'm rubbing off on him. And ultimately we both grew because of it. And so when I left there, I felt like a much more well-rounded strength coach. And, and he said the same to me when, when he left and went to do something else, he's like, Hey, I feel a lot more comfortable with some of the, the strength exercises and some of the stuff that you did, some of the programming, the conjugate concepts. Um, so it is that it's exactly, it's surrounding yourself with people who are better at you than other things, other things, because if you surround yourself with people that are yes, men and people that are good, good at the same things that you, than you, then what do you have? You know, you have a bunch of people that are, are good at three tricks, but you know what? Why not have a well-rounded team that can do everything, right? That's that's my my point, and that takes humility. So, Coach, I appreciate this again. You know, it's always awesome to catch up and connect. I, I think, again, you're such a, a resource for people, and you bring a refreshing point of view on things, and you're willing to, to speak the truth on, you know, like we talked about with the whiskey analogy, speak the truth, give it to them straight, no chaser. Um, and let it burn for a second. So for everyone listening, I hope you guys have your notebooks out um, and are letting this thing sink in because this was another great conversation. So we'll have Coach Gold back on again. Um, we'll bring part three to you guys within the next two weeks here. So I'm jacked up about that. Um, we'll continue to do this deep dive and and hopefully, you know, you guys take away from it as much as we did because I know I got better just, just being a part of this conversation. So Coach, I appreciate you a ton. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate the opportunity. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I love talking with Coach Gold. She always drops absolute bombs. Um, whether we're talking about self-awareness, you know, sharpening our own act or the mentorship relationship, you know, Coach just absolutely lays out the truth. And I think it's it's something that a lot of leaders need to hear. Um, and sometimes things that aren't popular and aren't spoken about, you know, such as sustainability for your staff and protecting your people, you know. And I think Coach uh, really stepped out in front here and took on a charge that needs to be addressed in the strength and conditioning field and in coaching and in leadership um, as a whole, you know, so I really appreciate her time and her honesty. Uh, please check back next week. We'll have episode three with Coach Gold. We're going to do one more deep dive here. Um, and as always, please like, share, leave a review, um, you know, share this with somebody you think would benefit from hearing this stuff. And like we always say, leaders are built, not born. <laughs>